to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 17th, we are studying Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 10. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, God has sanctified us according to his will. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Denzer. Pastor Denzer serves as the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and the Chaplain for the International Center in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Denzer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, it's great to be back. So, Pastor Denzer, when when you emailed me about this text, you said you were very excited about this text, that you really love this text. What's, what is so great about Hebrews 10, verses 5 to 10? What is so great about it is it quotes the Psalms, which I love, and uh, and it quotes a Psalm that... I don't know if anybody would have thought this is what it's talking about, maybe. Uh, it's very unique, especially if you look at the Hebrew and the Greek. Uh, but but it's a psalm that has Jesus talking. And I think even as you're reading Psalm 40, you go through it and you say, I'm not quite sure who's speaking here. That happens a lot in the Psalter. Uh, but but you get to this part, and, and somebody's very exuberant. I, how many times does a person in the Bible actually say, behold? We're used to the narrator saying, hey, pay attention here. Something important is happening. But here, uh, it's the speaker of the psalm, the prayer, that says, lo, I have come to do your will, O my God. And something else is going on. And, and uh, Paul, or, or whoever wrote Hebrews, is taking this here and, uh, and, and saying, absolutely, this is Christ. And, uh, and it just really opens up into a fantastic passage, especially here for this Advent season. Well, and, and that is, of course, the reason that we are looking at Hebrews 10, not because it's one of your favorites, although I'm glad it is, and I, I am looking forward to digging into it with you. But the reason is because this is one of the appointed epistle readings for the season of Advent. This text is the epistle reading for the fourth Sunday in Advent in Series C. So it's the one that we're hearing this year, if you're using the three-year lectionary in your church. So, Pastor Denzer, what are some of the Advent themes that we're going to encounter? What does Hebrews 10, 5 to 10, have to do with the season of Advent? Well, it's, it's appointed one other place in the church here, actually, which is, I think, what I know it better from. And that is, this is the new epistle, the new one, at least, now that we have an Old Testament reading also uh, restored. This is the epistle for the Annunciation of Mary, or the Annunciation of our Lord. This is when Gabriel comes and uh, speaks to Mary and tells her, you're going to be the mother of God. You're going to bear Christ the Lord. And uh, so... That already freights it with quite a bit of importance, uh, a big deal kind of in our church's use of this passage. But but it shows us that this is about the incarnation. I kind of like that connection too. I've heard some people concerned, by the way, that we would talk about the incarnation, the, the teaching that God has come into our flesh in Christ Jesus at Christmas. And I don't know if you can think about why. It's because Christmas is too late to be talking about the incarnation. We know that life doesn't begin when you're born. Life begins at least, I mean, it begins nine months earlier uh, at conception. And so I suppose some people would be concerned, well, if we're talking about the incarnation of, of God uh, uh, at 
at Christmas, we've kind of missed nine months of the incarnation, haven't we? Yeah, I suppose so. Although, look, you know, we do date our birthdays, not our conception days, and that's not a denial uh, of life in the womb. Uh, these things go together, of course. Uh, but so it's great that uh, this is also an epistle that's heard nine months earlier on uh, uh, the Annunciation, March 25th. So we're thinking about our Lord coming in the flesh, which, yeah, that's the the connection there to the March 25th, the Annunciation of our Lord. And just with that connection, then, if if I'm not, and maybe you can help me with this, Pastor Denzer, because if I'm not mistaken, the March 25th date being the Annunciation of our Lord is also connected to a, a possible dating for Good Friday when he died, which would connect to Hebrews 10 as well. Is, isn't there a connection between the Annunciation being March 25th and also the day that Jesus died? There is. We've all heard, I think, that, uh, that Christmas could not be the birthday of Jesus. That's impossible. They borrowed it from the pagans. It was, you know, the, the winter solstice festival. Although I don't think the winter solstice is actually on the 25th, is it? It's like I don't think so. Off. I think it's the 21st or the 22nd, I think. Yeah. So already there's something fuzzy about it there. But, but kind of historically, the history of the church's worship long before they were ever observing Christmas, they were observing the Annunciation. They were maybe better than us, I guess. They always want to talk about the Incarnation proper uh, when Christ was conceived, as we talk about in the Creed. So March 25th has been celebrated as a longer for a longer time in the Church even than December 25th. Uh, and you're right, it, it, it came out of this idea that um, great men in the ancient world, it was considered, they didn't care about birthdays nearly as much as we do, which it's hard for us to imagine why you wouldn't know that and remember that. They just, it wasn't something they cared about, I guess. But um, but they had this, this concept that people who were born uh, also died on the same day that they were born. Uh, so, so, you know, maybe that line of reasoning isn't exactly sound, but that's the reason why they celebrated the incarnation, the, the conception of Jesus on the 25th. I misspoke. The, the, you were conceived on the day that you died. Um, same day of the year. So they were already con- celebrating his conception that day because they it was around the time that Christ would have died, uh, w- which is great in kind of going back to Christmas and where are the origins of our celebration of the birth of Jesus. The date was not just picked out of the blue, and it wasn't just adopted from pagans. It really had a connection much earlier to something real about Jesus, or at least an attempt to get accurate on him, which is to say, you know, Nine months plus the conception, that's when somebody's born. Uh, so that's why that's, they're both the 25th of the month, and they're definitely supposed to be connected. Well, and I, I think it. I think Hebrews 10 connects those things, and, and not in the, the way that you're talking about, you know, that, that the day of death is the same day of conception, but, but Hebrews 10, as, as we'll look at it, connects what's the point of Jesus having a body? Well, it's so that he can be the sacrifice, the offering of the body of Jesus. I mean, so Hebrews 10 is going to connect these things for us as well, the incarnation of Jesus with the the death of Jesus. And so to see this text be an Advent epistle, but also an epistle for the Annunciation of our Lord, I think cements those connections for us. Now, Pastor Denzer, in, in terms of this study that we're doing here on Sharper Iron, this is, it's the first text that we have encountered from the book of Hebrews so far. We will, in 
next week, we'll encounter chapter 1 of Hebrews when we take a look at the Christmas Day epistle from Hebrews chapter 1. But this is the first one we've, we've picked out from Hebrews. And we've had this challenge throughout this series that you, you jump into the middle of a book, the middle of a letter. Sometimes you got to get your bearings first. So without giving us absolutely everything, help us to get our bearings. What's going on in the letter to the Hebrews? How do we get to where what we're going to read in chapter 10 today? Yeah, we don't necessarily know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, for a long time in the church, it was assumed that Paul was the author. Not a bad guess. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, and there are a number of things that suggest uh, similar themes to Paul. In fact, I think today is one of them. Uh, there are other things that, that suggest that maybe it wasn't Paul. But, but this, I mean, in my mind, and I think in the reader's experience too, this is definitely one of the epistles that seems clearly to be a sermon. And the cool thing about Hebrews that I like is it has sermon texts, just like we do. Uh, it, goes, it goes to length quoting from the Psalms especially, Psalm 95, Psalm 8, uh, all of these Psalter, Psalter passages. And out of that draws, you know, speaking about Christ our Lord. In particular, the book of the Hebrews is talking about worship in the Old Testament. And kind of, you, you could, I suppose, put this question, uh, now that Christ has come, what do we do with the Old Testament worship, with the temple, with the sacrifices in particular? And it's trying to make the argument, if I could sum it up, as Christ is the true sacrifice. Christ is the true temple. And, uh, and, and in him, uh, in his once and for all offering to the Father, everything's been accomplished. In fact, accomplished in a far better and a perfect con uh, concluding way to everything that was leading up to it in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and so that, that really comes to a head in our text where we've been, uh, Paul or, or the author to the Hebrews has been discussing um, the Old Testament sacrifices. And the basic point is they must not have worked, not in a complete fashion at least, because they had to be repeated over and over again. The priests themselves were just men, sinful men, that had to make offerings on behalf of their own sins. So it, it never ends, right? And even though these are copies of the heavenly things, they're not the thing itself. So something was always unfulfilled in the Old Testament. That something now has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He is, he is the perfect, the complete uh, sacrifice. And uh, we get then into the, the point today about his incarnation. And, and I love the way you said that, the, the reason our Lord Jesus Christ has become man is so that he can shed his blood for our behalf, so that he, as one of us, can redeem us by his blood. That, that's a famous question in church history. Uh, why did God become a man? Uh, it, it's the title of a book from uh, St. Anselm, you know, in the middle of the Middle Ages. Uh, but a thousand years before that, we have the writer to the Hebrews really answering that question right here. And, uh, and it's the same point to talk about that he needed to die as a sacrifice for our sins to redeem us. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and look at the text for today. Again, we are reading Hebrews 10, verses 5 to 10 this morning. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body, you have, a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, 
these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's our text for today. That's Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 10. And again, that is the epistle reading for the fourth Sunday in Advent in series C. Pastor Denzer, before we jump into deep detail on these verses, just give us the overall impression. What is Paul, or the author of Hebrews, what is he saying in this section? Yeah, just to, to look at what was right before it, um, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. A pretty shocking thing to say to Hebrews, who, I mean, this is what God said they were for, right? Uh, and I think we'll answer that question a little later. But the point is that Christ is the true and the pleasing sacrifice whom God wills and the sacrifice that he gladly receives. Uh, and this is the one that can do it, right? So what, what was impossible or what at least had to be done over and over again in the Old Testament is once and for all, a great Hebrews word to remember, once and for all accomplished in the death of Jesus Christ and in the coming of Jesus Christ. This is great. This word, uh, asarkomenos, uh, that when Christ came into the world, I, I think you want to translate this as Advent, don't you? Especially this week. Yeah. So when Christ advented into the it world. Works. It works. That's exactly what it means. And uh, uh, with maybe a little more de detail because it's definitely an entered into, right? Think of John chapter 1, if, if we can cheat and jump ahead to next week, right? Um, uh, you know, he, uh, the true light was coming into the world. And then it has to explain that, right? What do you mean? Isn't the world God's natural habitat? Didn't he create it? Of course, yeah. Uh, but um, uh, yet his world did not know him, right? But that didn't stop him from entering into it and redeeming it. Same, same concept is, uh, same reality is happening right here. Uh, and so the consequently is because all of those things, which God himself had instituted, weren't the final thing, weren't the complete uh, accomplishment of it. They were always pointing ahead to when the Lord would accomplish it fully, and that's what's happened in the coming, the advent of Jesus Christ. So, Pastor Denzer, one of the things you said in introducing the book of Hebrews as a whole is that it, it very much has the, the feel of a sermon. And as you said, there are sermon texts throughout. And, and this text that we've got today is, in fact, dominated by the sermon text because he quotes it and then he explains it. So, there, I mean, he is very much quoting from his sermon text. So as, as we prepare to, to understand what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, we should understand what the sermon text is. So, What's his sermon text that he's quoting? What do we need to know about that text that's going to help us with what the author of Hebrews is saying from it? Sure. So it's Psalm 40 in our Bibles. It would have been Psalm 39 in the Septuagint. And the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And uh, this really does correspond, for the most part, quite well to the Greek version, that Septuagint version. And, and the psalm is a psalm of David. It, uh, it starts, I waited patiently for the Lord. He listened to me. He heard my cry. Uh, and he's pulled me up out of the pit. So uh, it's, it's, it's a prayer for rescue. Uh, and it says, he's put a new song into my mouth. Kind of a hint already to what we're going to talk about. Uh, praise for our God. Trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in God. Uh, he's done many wonderful works. But, but it comes to a head in the middle, and that's where this text comes from, where all of a sudden there's something that's been disclosed. 
to the to, to David to the speaker um, that his wonderful works toward us uh, have something very specific in them uh, and that is that they are merciful and he comes to this this realization in this sentence sacrifice and offering you did not desire my ears you have opened burnt offering and sin offering you've not required we'll talk about that phrase about our ears being opened, which is slightly different, uh, as the apostle writes it in Hebrews. Um, but then, like I had mentioned before, the voice changes. Then I said, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. And this, I don't think, is David talking anymore. That's exactly what the author to the Hebrews says. This is, in fact, going to be Christ speaking when he came into the world. And as it goes on after that, uh, it talks about the Lord's tender mercies. It's a, it goes back as a prayer to God to be pleased to deliver me, make haste to help me, a passage that's familiar to us. And then at the end, it, it actually quotes uh, Psalm 70 as, a, as an exact copy of it, uh, uh, talking about the enemies, let them be ashamed, uh, uh, but look on me who am poor and needy and uh, magnify yourself for my salvation. Don't delay. Oh, Lord. Actually, that last part's pretty nice for Advent, isn't it? That can be our prayer, that he would come and return. But uh, Paul doesn't, or, or the author of the Hebrews doesn't talk about that. He focuses in on this, this, this amazing statement that sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Again, this is, I think, shocking to Hebrews, but here the author to the Hebrews is, is not drawing on his own words, but on the words of the Old Testament, very familiar to them from Psalm 40. All right, so his his sermon text is Psalm 40, and if you in your English Bibles, when you go to Psalm 40, the verses that you want to look at particularly are verses six through eight. That's where the the quotation is going to be. As you said, in Hebrews, Paul, or the author, he's quoting particularly from the Septuagint. So there's going to be a little difference there, and we're going to talk about that before we before we look at the actual text of Psalm 40 and then how it gets applied. Let's talk a little bit about the the matter of the speaker. And then the one to whom he is speaking. Again, it, it's a Psalm of David when you look there in, in Psalm 40. And the author of Hebrews tells us very clearly that the one speaking, at least in verses six through eight, we understand is Christ. You know, when Christ came into the world, he said, and then he puts these, these are the words that are coming from Christ's mouth. So I, I suppose it, we also should understand who he's talking to. This would, or, I mean, should should we understand then when the writer of Hebrews is quoting here what he's giving us is this is what Christ said to the Father? Yes, exactly. And, and so there's a switch that happens. In, we, we know that we should be paying close attention to the Psalms, or we should know this. Uh, in Samuel, it says the Holy Spirit spoke through David. Uh, he, he was a prophet, in fact, and Jesus makes much of this in the Gospels. Uh, so we know that David is a is a unique prophet of God. Not only is he a prophet, but he's also a king, right? Uh, and he's the man after God's own heart. He's the one that has this promise about the house being built for him, his offspring, prophecy of Christ to come. And uh, another text we're familiar with here in Advent, right? That the from the stump of Jesse, uh, a new David is going to arise, right? The righteous branch, which is Christ our Lord. So, so right after David um, is extolling the many marvelous works of God in five, uh, he says they're more than to be numbered, right? Uh, but, but then he breaks into the, the greatest one, right? Uh, that, it's, that it's not about our works for him, but it's about his marvelous works to us, chiefly this mercy. Uh, 
And, and this is where the author of the Hebrews helps us out to, to help explain that this is Jesus speaking, right? So what does his father desire or what has he desired? It's not sacrifice and offering, all these things that have been going on for all this time, uh, as if they were complete in themselves, uh, but rather he's fashioned now this body for him uh, and, uh, and there's something else that needs to be done. So lo, here I have come. I'm the one that the Old Testament has been written about, Christ Jesus, the Messiah that is to come. And I come to do just as it was written of me, I to delight in God's will and to accomplish what his law is uh, and, and to do it. Um, this is fascinating. This is exactly what Jesus says in the Gospels, isn't it? Uh, that the scriptures were written about him, that he comes to do his Father's will, and, and then he always goes into what his Father's will is, that he should suffer and die and on the third day rise again. It even goes on uh, past that, uh, our text for today, in verse 9 of the psalm, where it says, I've preached righteousness in the great congregation. I've not refrained my lips, O Lord, you know. Uh, that's absolutely what we see Jesus doing in the New Testament. He even goes and clears out the temple there right before Holy Week and, and preaches in the midst of many enemies. Uh, and he's not afraid to preach the truth, uh, and particularly to preach the truth that uh, he has come to give his life as a ransom for many. Understanding the Psalm 40 as a, a conversation between the Father and the Son, and, and particularly hearing the, the Son speaking to the Father here, I mean, I, I know we're, we're talking about the season of Advent here, but my mind goes to the a Lenten hymn, actually, to, to Paul Gerhardt's hymn, A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth, as it's, as it's given in the LSB, it's LSB 438, and Gerhardt there, you know, pictures this conversation between the father and the son that, I mean, sounds very, very much like he's drawing it from Psalm 40 and from Hebrews chapter 10. This is, it's in, again, stanza two of LSB 438. The father is speaking here. Go forth, my son, the father said, and free my children from their dread of guilt and condemnation. The wrath and stripes are hard to bear, but by your passion they will share the fruit of your salvation. So that's how stands. Yay, Father! Yay! Most willingly I do what you command me. My lit, my will, uh, will conforms to your decree. I do what you have demanded of me. That's the response that Gerhard puts there, right? And it, it does imitate this passage precisely. And I, I think the old translation captured. We don't like that word demand. Uh, maybe, but but it captured this truth that the Father's will and commandment, what, I mean, what he commands, what he wills, he commands. He's not afraid to do that and use his authority like maybe we are. Uh, but the Son is not like us where he's like, well, you can't command me. I have to choose to do it myself, right? Uh, like, like little kids saying, uh, I'm going to do it my big self. It has to be my idea or I won't do it. No, uh, the, the Son's will and delight is exactly uh, matching and in conformity and in perfect harmony with his father's demand and command. This is the very thing that that is never the case uh, with Israel throughout the Old Testament, remember who we're talking to, these Hebrews, or frankly, of all people, including the Gentiles, right? Um, mm -hmm. that, that our wills are, are contrary to God's will. We need to be taught to pray, thy will be done, not my will be done. But of course, Jesus is the one who prays this perfectly in the garden uh, as he's having that same conversation that uh, Paul Gerhardt fills out very playfully there. Um, yeah, you're right. This is that internal conversation. We have that same kind of discussion, by the way, 
in uh, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, right? Um, uh, that, that uh, in fact, and there in, in Luther's hymn, uh, the voices are changing all over the place too. Sometimes Jesus is talking to the Father. Uh, sometimes Jesus is talking to us. Hold fast to me. I'm your rock and castle. I'll, I'll strive for you and the devil. Uh, can't overcome you or snatch you away from me, right? Uh, now, Luther was a psalm scholar, so he imitates that too. Right, I've, and I, I was I was trying to find an Advent hymn that did this, and I'm not, I, maybe my memory is just not right, but th- I think there's, it's not, there. you don't have the conversation, but Savior of the Nations Come has a, at least a little bit of this sort of flavor. I mean, you know, God the Father was his source, back to God he ran his course, or for you are the Father's Son, who in flesh the victory won. I mean, you have the, even though it's not the conversation that you have in Psalm 40 and in Hebrews 10, I think it's the same thought that that God is the one who sins, and the Son goes in obedience to what the Father demands. And this is, I mean, this passage and and the Gerhardt hymn as well, both tie into a theme that we've talked about previously it, with some of these Advent texts. Is that you know in in this you see that this is, well, really the the triune God working in concert out of his love for all humanity. The Father sends Jesus because he loves us sinners, just like Jesus comes because he loves us sinners. It's not that the Father is really, really angry with us. He's the angry one, and the Son has to fix that. That's The Father sends Jesus to appease his wrath because the Father loves us too. And I think that that theme comes through very clearly when you understand Psalm 40 and Hebrews 10 as having, you know, there's this conversation between between God the Father and God the Son, and God the Father wills this, the Son matches that will because they both love us sinners. Yeah, amen. Gerhard's got your back, by the way. We just have to say both parts of the conversation, right? Oh Lord, how shall I meet you? How welcome you are, right? It talks about uh, uh, how I lay in fetters groaning, but Jesus came to rescue me, right? Uh, to give me a crown. It doesn't quite put the words into his mouth, but you can see Jesus is coming with his great gifts. And then it says what? Love caused your incarnation. Yeah. Not even my sin, you know, not just rectifying the problems or whatever, uh, the consequently, I suppose, that the author of the Hebrews has, right? It is love that compels Christ, compels the Father to offer up his son, compels the son gladly to go. Uh, love drives it and therefore he lays down his life as a sacrifice beautiful yeah. yeah and that that is the love for which we give thanks during this advent season we're seeing it here in hebrews chapter 10 we need to take a short break you're listening to sharper iron on kfuo we're talking with pastor sean denzer today about hebrews chapter 10 we will be right back please stick around Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 17th. We're studying Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 10 with Pastor Sean Denzer. 
He is the director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and also the chaplain for the International Center in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Denzer, prior to the break, we've been looking at Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8. This is the sermon text for this part of the author's sermon. And one of the things that we've mentioned previously, but we need to dig into a little bit more, is you said the author of Hebrews is quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Our English Bibles generally are translations of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Masoretic text. And so there's a a bit of a difference in verse 6. When you look in your English Bible, in Psalm 40, verse 6, the English Standard translates it, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. That's how the ESV reads in Psalm 40, verse 6, again translating from the Hebrew text. The author of Hebrews, quoting from the Septuagint, you get, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. What are we to to make of this? Yeah, I, I, this is one of those cases where I think we call this an apostolic insight um, uh, that he has to open up the Old Testament. Um, but I th- I think this one matches better than we think if we kind of understand the idiom that's used there in the Hebrew. So the so the idiom reads kind of literalistically that ears have you dug for me right dug out of the earth or uh, or fashioned out of clay after you dig first or or imagine if like you took a a, a smiley faced round head and started to carve out some ear holes into it that's kind of painful but uh, but that's the image so it's poetic frankly it's a little strange in the middle of psalm 40 also and kind of draws attention to itself what does it mean well well to have ears to have them opened up to have a means to give understanding. You're no longer a deaf person. Um, so so that definitely fits in the context. There's an insight that David is having here, or, or an insight that seems to be there in the Psalter, right? That um, it's not about just getting the sacrifices taken care of. It's not about counting out measures of wheat and burning them at the right time. It's not about just doing the work. It's about the heart, uh, and it's about more going on. Um, it's about the pleasure of God, His works, and His mercy toward us. Um, so, so that that's maybe the understanding that you would get if you wanted to get rid of the idiom and just say, okay, what's kind of the, you know, what what's the gist of it, right? Well, it's that the Lord has opened our ears to understand uh, that it's not just about doing this work. When He gave the Book of Leviticus, for example, it was by no means because He wanted us to make sure we dotted our eyes and and crossed our T's. And as long as you got the, you know, as long as you did the right motions, he'd be very happy with this. Of course not. Uh, and the Lord talks about this too, right? Uh, I certainly don't want the commandments and the traditions of men to be obeyed and my commandments that I've given to be disregarded. But it's also not about becoming so liter- literalistic that, that it was just a collection of ceremonies and you could perform these while your heart was far from the Lord. No, these are always to be done in faith. This is uh, an argument that came up again in the time of the Reformation, uh, that the sacraments are not to be done just by, they're not just done by doing them. Uh, it's not about eating mindlessly the body and blood of Christ, and maybe you can even skip the service and just, you know, eat a host some other time and it'll work, or maybe even just look at it. And as long as it's going on and you're in its presence, that counts. No, it's a matter for faith. It's it's to to hear the words, delight in believing this promise, to say amen to it, and of course to eat and to drink the body and blood of Christ. Same thing with holy baptism, to believe the promise that is given here in this sacrament. 
or we should say, in the sacrifices and the offerings of the Old Testament, to trust in the Lord, uh, to offer them out of faith, uh, and to receive His 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 blessings, His mercy, His His presence. Uh, not rather to just think, well, as long as we got somebody up there on the mountain offering a bull here and there, uh, we got God taken care of, we can go on with the rest of our business. But this is not how the author of the Hebrews takes this, right? He really wants to make a moment out of this idiom. Uh, And I think you can see how digging of the ears is a fashioning of the body. And he takes this, you might say, in a sense, more literalistically, um, but uh, really that this becomes the incarnation. That's that's what it's getting at. Uh, so that's where the translation in the in the Septuagint comes from. That he's he's uh, uh, fashioned. He's he's like an art artisan uh, creating a piece of artwork, uh, a body for the person uh, to form to prepare this body in the incarnation. That that through the womb of the Virgin Mary, uh, the Father has now personally united in the person of Jesus Christ a human nature with a divine nature. And and so now he is truly God and man, as all of our hymns and our creeds say. I mean, the way that the way that that Hebrew idiom works and then how it gets translated as, you know, just the the body that's been prepared here in Hebrews 10. I mean, just, just listening, you describe that Hebrew idiom. My, what I, what I'm picturing in my mind is something similar to what I would picture in Genesis chapter two, where the Lord God takes the dust of the earth and fashions it, forms it into a man, which I suppose, you know, I mean, he, like he sticks his finger in Adam's ear to form it all, you know, he, he digs the ear out for Adam. And I guess the, the reason, and I'm not, I don't know, I, not having studied the entire book of Hebrews all that recently, I'm not sure if this would be a theme, but the, you know, this, this giving or the body of Christ, then he comes as the new Adam to, to use the language from, like from Paul in Romans five. And I do, I mean, I think there's maybe a connection here in Hebrews in in Hebrews chapter two, Paul or the author writes, you know, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery for surely it's not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And we could, I, again, we're not studying the whole book of Hebrews here, but I, I wonder if, I mean, like that that use of the the Hebrew idiom and then the body, you know, invites us to consider or to think of Christ as he's the He's the new man. And by his death, he brings all of, all of humanity back to Christ, which is what he can do that, as, as the writer of Hebrews has just been saying, the blood of bulls and goats never could do. Beautifully said, Pastor. And maybe, I mean, a deficiency in kind of the just taking like a body, any old body. This is not any old body. This is not just a heap of of some kind of meat. This is human flesh. These are human ears. Uh, and, and it is trying to, to, it is saying exactly what you said. This is Adam recreated. This is in the very same way that Adam was created now. Christ is coming in that flesh to redeem that flesh that he's taken up. What is the significance of ears? I think it'd be amazing to look through the Old Testament and see how important the ears are. The one that comes to mind immediately for me is the Lord adorns the ears of the people of Israel when they come out of uh, uh, Egypt. He, He particularly has them rob and plunder the Egyptians with earrings. I mean, they're covered in them. And 
and also fascinating, a couple chapters later, they're melting those earrings down to make the idol uh, and not listening anymore. Uh, so, so you have all of the history from the Old Testament of the Lord carefully fashioning, giving special attention to the ears as well as the other parts of the body, uh, and those ears running away from him and, and being fallen, broken, and sinful. But here now we have the new Christ who's going to come in those same ears with that same human flesh to redeem us with it. Like you said, uh, quoting from the former passages, is a very important theological point that the Lord has become man for men. We hear this, this language in the creed. He's become a man to redeem us men. He's become Adam to redeem Adam and all his children. Uh, he hasn't just... Uh, snapped his fingers, but he's taken up our cause very personally. And, uh, and therefore, when he, offers, when he offers his life of perfection and keeping the law, it can be in our place. And when he offers his death for us, it can be a trade as one of us. It, it, it can be a sacrifice that atones for our sins uh, and bringing with it the divine power and majesty that is able to actually accomplish this. Mm. The when you talking about excuse me you talking about the ears more that the passage that my mind goes to is in is in Isaiah chapter fifty which is one of the sometimes they're called the servant songs of Isaiah mm-hmm. where the the servant of the Lord speaks and in that one the the servant of the Lord says morning by morning he awakens he awakens my ear to mm-hmm. hear as those who are taught the Lord God has opened my ear. And I was not rebellious. I mean, I, you know, Isaiah seems to be echoing the language of David in, in Psalm 40, and it fits in, I think, very well here with, with Hebrews chapter 10. And again, you know, the servant is the one who gives his life, you know, as for the for the many, for the sinners. That's the that's where the very familiar servant text that we know from Isaiah is from Good Friday, chapters 52 and 53, the, the stricken, smitten, and afflicted, which again, that's why he's got the body, is so that he can give that body on our behalf. So, Pastor Daniel, let's let's keep digging into to this text with the matter of you know, the sacrifices and offerings. It in verse five when he's quoting from Psalm forty, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired. That's part of what Christ says to the Father, and the author of Hebrews in verse eight repeats that. He says, "When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in these sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings." So, I mean, what what do we make of this? Because in the Old Testament, God does command these things, and now here Christ is telling the Father, you don't desire these things. How how do we hold these things together? Yeah, as with a lot of passages in Hebrews, the timing is is kind of tricky grammatically, and but, but it also it really makes a difference here. And just think about this fact, prophecy is a difficult thing for modern and enlightened people to even buy, right? That we we don't get to predict the future. Sometimes we pretend, but we we're skeptical of people who claim to predict the future. The Psalms are predicting the future, but they're not predicting it like we would do. We'd say in the year something something this is going to happen. They've actually had the words being spoken in real time. And, and I suppose the easy un- way to understand that is we're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about God. We're talking about the one who is eternal, not just into the future, but also in reverse. Uh, so when he speaks in the Old Testament. Um, he's not speaking as one who is bound by our time. Um, likewise, this is what we get in, in wonderful and mysteriously beautiful passages like uh, 
Christ is the Lamb of God, the sacrifice uh, that was uh, offered from the foundation of the world. How amazing, right? Um, so what so what we have here is is notice this these are words that Jesus is saying when he came into the world, right? Uh, this is the divine plan being enacted. Um, you know, it, it may not be that he spoke these words at any given time in his life, but he spoke them before he got here uh, as a description of what he is presently doing as he is entering in the world in his in the incarnation and as a, he is accomplishing our salvation in his life and his death. So, so now hear this, right? You prepared this body for me uh, because now sacrifices and offerings you do not desire. Uh, you've taken no pleasure in them, but behold, what's the thing you have taken pleasure in? You will forevermore take pleasure in me coming and doing your will, O God, me doing everything that you said of me in the book that is in the Torah, in, in the history of the scriptures. Uh, all of it is now being accomplished by Jesus. There's another very important thing which, which brings up this strange timing matter, but it's just from the beginning of this section, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. It says here, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, that's why it can never, you know, perfect everything with the Old Testament sacrifices. That phrase shadow is so important. That, by the way, is one of the things that does connect it with St. Paul, because he uses the same language in Colossians chapter 2, where he talks about um, Sabbaths, new moons, sacrifices, uh, special foods to eat, you know, all the stuff in Leviticus, all the stuff in Exodus. These things are not for the New Testament church. No one's to judge you in these matters anymore. And, and then what's the explanation for that radical thing for Paul to say? These things were shadows of what is to come, but the substance, in our ESV translation, but truly what it says is, the body is Christ. And now, what's the image that's set up here? Uh, how does a shadow uh, lay across the sidewalk? Well, something casts it, right? The sun shines, and that body, that physical, true, sturdy presence casts its light or lack of light onto the ground, right? Um, the, the shadow's real, so is the body, uh, but, but only one of them is the thing itself, right? So if you were to run and, uh, and throw yourself down on the ground and, and hug that shadow, that would be pretty foolish, wouldn't it? Um, if you were coming around the corner and you saw a shadow, that could be helpful. You'd say, I know that. I know that that shape. That's my wife coming around the corner. I will give her a hug, but I'm not going to hug the shadow. I'm going to hug my wife, the real body, right around the corner, right? That's what's going on here. The shadow is being cast not around a corner onto the ground, but back into history. And that shadow is everything that the temple and the sacrifices were doing. Did they have value? Absolutely. Chiefly, their value is to say, there's a body casting me. <laughs> Uh, but now the body has come. And we don't mean even a metaphorical thing that this was just, you know, the divine nature shining into the past or shadowing into the past. This is the body of Christ, God and man uh, in one Christ, who is here to accomplish this great thing, a true sacrifice, a sacrifice that is pleasing, not just periodically or in a partial way, but entirely uh, in his death and, and, of course, in his resurrection as well. I, I think the the image of you know seeing the shadow ahead of time and anticipating the one who is to come so that like i mean as you're describing your wife coming around the corner and then when she gets there you hug your wife you don't hug the shadow yeah, that's yeah. a that's a fantastic image for what's going on here in the book of hebrews as a whole and and this passage particularly that again now that the 
the body of Christ literally is here, then you don't need to to hug the shadow anymore. You you go to the real thing, the thing that cast the shadow all along. That was the point. And the shadow was there to to tell you, hey, he's coming. Now that he's here, that's where you go. Because because that's what's that's what's really done the done the deed. I mean, and I think that's where, you know, verse in my mind, verse 10 is really the the conclusion of this part of the sermon. You know, I mean, if you think of again, this is a sermon. He's got Psalm 46 to 8 as a sermon text. And the point that he wants you to get from this text is in verse 10. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's a really loaded statement there, Pastor Denzer. Take us into that. Yeah. So the will of God is that his son would be born in human flesh and that he would live a a life that fully uh, accomplishes the law, that that keeps it uh, holy and undefiled. There are no sins in this Jesus, uh, but also that he would do the Lord's will by suffering the punishments, by dying, by being a sacrifice. Yes, like the Old Testament ones, but but in a, as they were anticipatory of the real thing, which is Jesus. And so by this will, which is to accomplish that sacrifice, to go through with it, to um, uh, do it willingly uh, for the Father, um, what has been accomplished? Our sanctification. These are words that would have been familiar to the to the Hebrews. This is this is what goes on in the temple, but this goes on with God directly, being the sacrifice and accomplishing it and delivering it, uh, and and that it's once and for all quite a difference from from the temple they're used to. Right. So uh, we've been sanctified now through the offering, the, the sacrifice, right, of the body, not of a bull or a goat, but of Jesus Christ, and. And this great phrase that we as Lutherans, I think as all Protestants, have, have wanted to emphasize throughout history also, once for all, once and for all time, also once and for all people. So in, in this, I mean, let me, I want to run this past you because I'm curious. When, sure. I, when I hear, you know, this offering of the body of Jesus Christ and this talk of the body of Jesus Christ, and maybe this is just my, my small catechism, but I hear the body of Jesus— and I want to try to make a connection from this to the Lord's Supper. And I, I know we should, we want to be careful so that we don't fall into some of the errors that the Roman Catholics do when it comes to what the sac, what they call the sacrifice of the Mass. But I, I think, I think there may be a connection to the to the Lord's Supper here. And I'm not not enter- entirely sure how to draw the dots um, or to connect the dots. But I, I, I'd like you to try to help me, or maybe you could just tell me, no, I'm way off, and, and we shouldn't connect this to the Lord's Supper. But the one of the thoughts that I had, and you you mentioned this previously in in Psalm forty, part of the context of Psalm forty includes the proclamation that happens. You know, a- after you get past the part that he quotes, you have you have the the talk about you know proclaiming the Lord's deeds. I'm I'm paraphrasing very generally here. Here I'm go back to it. Psalm forty verse nine. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Verse ten. I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness, so that connected to the offering of Christ is the proclamation of the good news that God has done. And then my mind went to the way that Paul connects. There's, and I don't know if this is a connection to Paul or not, but the way Paul connects, whenever we eat the body of Christ, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes there in 1 Corinthians 11. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's a connection to be made here. I, so I don't know, maybe you can help me work through some of that, or, or you, you're welcome to tell me I'm just way off, because I'm, I'm happy to be off in this case and know it. So 
I don't think you're way off. I mean, absolutely, the death of Jesus is connected with the gift of the Lord's Supper. Not only does it is it given and instituted the night before he is when he's the night he's betrayed before he dies on Thursday to Friday. Um, it's absolutely referencing right given and shed. That's a sacrificial atonement language word. Um, so so yeah, it's all connected in that way. Um, I, I love the hymn. I think explains it in a simple way. Right, the death of Jesus Christ, the Lord, we ce- we celebrate with one accord that this forever true may be. He gives a solemn guarantee and gives us his his body and his blood to deliver it. So the, the offering word matters. You know, um, if if it's offered as a as a sacrifice to an accomplish the atonement, the direction right is is right. He's offering it um, in the sense of the Old Testament, right, with an altar, in this case with a cross. It's a death. It's blood. It's the Father who is pleased by it, or I suppose not pleased by it, but we're told here that he is pleased by the sacrifice of Jesus. In fact, we have the proof of that in the resurrection of Jesus. It's a a savor of aroma, a pleasing aroma in the Father's nostrils. His wrath is abated. Uh, uh, He is placated. He is appeased. These are the languages we use to talk about this. The Father is is glad to receive and accept this sacrifice. Uh, Our sins are atoned for. If we're talking about offering it to other people, which is not usually the word that uh, people use around the Lord's Supper, but I suppose it could be, that does describe what Jesus does on the last night. He offers it to them. He gives it to them, right? He says, take it and eat it. Um, this is given in his shed for you. The direction has been changed. It's been, it's been offered uh, as a sacrifice for our benefit, but, but the body and blood of Jesus is given to us for our benefit, to, to deliver the forgiveness of sins. And, and for my money, I don't think we can get, we can get much better than what uh, Martin Luther made this great distinction about salvation being talked about in two ways, accomplished and delivered. So we have this once for all word, which really fights against the, as often as you do this, of the Lord's Supper, right? Those are kind of uh, mutually exclusive terms. So, so I think the understanding that this sacrifice, this this uh, offering of the body of Jesus, that is, in the manner of a burnt offering, in the manner of a lamb that takes away the sins of the world, that's a once and for all sacrifice that was accomplished at the cross. But if we want to talk about where salvation is delivered to us, that is, yes, amazingly, uh, through the proclamation of the church, uh, in the preaching, in the sharing of the gospel, even in our hymns that we sing and, and extol the great works of God, uh, but uh, above all in the Lord's Supper, which, yes, even though the pastor is the one who hands it out, uh, we know this is a gift that comes straight from God to us. That, that was a very helpful explanation, Pastor Nenzer, and much much clearer and more, more, more compact, connected the dots a lot better than I did. So I really appreciate that. And I mean, certainly... I think you kept Hebrews 10 in view and what it's saying there, but then how that does, how we go elsewhere in Scripture. And we do see how the Lord's Supper is connected to this. We've got about three minutes here in the morning, Pastor Denzer. As you reflect on this section of, of Hebrews 10, it can help us to see what it is teaching us for our lives as Christians and, and how it fits into this Advent context of Christ coming to us. It's really great for Advent in a number of ways. 
I always think of Advent as Old Testament time. It's kind of a shame they only get four weeks for the Old Testament. It's kind of big. But, uh, you know, our Kyrie is our prayer. Uh, we're, we're reading all these prophecies of the coming Christ, and the name of it is the coming of Jesus. So we kind of put ourselves in the Old Testament shoes, you know, looking forward to our Lord. Uh, and I suppose then we quickly shift to what is not just a remembrance, but is the reality. We're looking forward to the second coming, second advent of our Lord, not to accomplish once and for all, it's all been finished, uh, but to uh, bring it all to our sight, what we only have by faith now, that we can see all things in subjection to him, uh, that we can see that uh, indeed all sin is done away with and and death itself will be dead forever. Ah, we're looking forward to that. Um so here, uh, we have this wonderful uh, section where a difficult thing for the Jewish people, Paul, or the writer to Hebrews, is talking about the changes, right? Now, uh, now that testament that we've clung to for so long, the word into the testimony, which we still go back to now, we read the Old Testament, but it's become old, and its oldness is, uh, is, is not because it was a joke, uh, to begin with, but the oldness is because the the body that cast its shadow has now come, and so you wouldn't, of course, hug the shadow. You hug the body, and that's Jesus Christ, and and we're devoted to Him now. Uh, but it's fantastic now as we we focus in on the theme of the incarnation. Uh, we remember that our Lord was conceived and born uh, by the holy power of the Holy Spirit uh, of the Virgin Mary. That He is made man for us men and for our salvation, uh, that we could hear this fantastic uh, passage, and we almost get to let Jesus teach us about his incarnation, right? So so we get to hear his words prophetically spoken in Psalm 40, that uh, he's come, that the Father has prepared this body for him so that he can accomplish the Father's will with it, uh, to lay it down in death for our salvation as a sacrifice, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And of course, to take it back up again, because his sacrifice is well-pleasing to the Father, also that he can sanctify us uh, once and for all uh, to do it in a perfect way, unlike uh, the, the, the temporary, the, the not lasting, the shadowy uh, uh, sanctification of the Old Testament. Um, and so, so we get to hear this, and we get to yeah learn why we don't have to butcher any animals at church on Sunday anymore. I'm kind of thankful for that. Uh, but but why we we do get to receive the Lord's Supper and hear the proclamation of Christ's mercy to us, because uh, everything's been accomplished by Him for our sanctification. Pastor Sean Denzer is director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and the chaplain for the International Center in St. Louis, Missouri helping us today with Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 10. Pastor Denzer, thanks for being our guest today. Blessed Advent. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about this epistle text or any of the other Advent epistles, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.